How can I trust you? It is a pickle, no doubt about it. Bad news is there's no way if you can really know whether I'm here to help you or not. So it's really up to you. Just have to make up your own damn mind to either accept what I'm going to tell you or reject it. We're all here to do what we're all here to do. I'm interested in one thing, Neil, the future. And believe me, I know the only way to get there is to get there. Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order can emerge, a new era, freer from the threat of terror, stronger in the pursuit of justice, and more secure in the quest for peace. An era in which the nations of the world, east and west, north and south, can prosper and live in harmony. A hundred generations have searched for this elusive path to peace, while a thousand wars raged across the span of human endeavor. And today that new world is struggling to be born. A world quite different from the one we've known. A world where the rule of law supplants the rule of the jungle. This is the culmination episode. I could go on and on about what I've learned and understand about this mindset or this force or these people, this new world order. I just found this book in the final process of editing this episode, Ralph Epperson's The New World Order. I'm just going to read you some excerpts from this book. As I continued my reading, I started noticing that I was discovering the evidence of an enormous truth. There was no question that some of these researchers had been moved to expose a part of this truth, but I was unable to find one book that would put the entire story all together. The more I read, the more I realized I had to read because the evidence to support the conclusions of this book appeared to be nearly limitless. However, there comes a time when every researcher must conclude that the material that has already been located is adequate enough to convince even the most ardent skeptic and that any additional material uncovered will only duplicate that which had already been found. The reason that I have done this book is simply because I believe that the information that I have uncovered is extremely important to the future of the world, and that it must be presented in a manner that is as believable as is possible. He goes on to say that, yes, what I am presenting to you is extremely difficult to accept. That does not mean that the evidence placed in front of whoever is incorrect. The New World Order has limited our perception of what is possible. And when you first hear that there is a tyrannical rogue group or force that has infiltrated almost every nation state on the planet and is working to erase borders of those nation states and bring us all into a global society, oppression, a dictatorship, this belief or this perception that that's not possible, they couldn't do that, they wouldn't do that, is exactly why, or at least how, they are doing it. What we are attempting to do is to not persuade you, 
that this does indeed exist, because I have no doubt there's too many coincidences and there's too many correlations between quotes, numerology, dates, declassified documents. That is just too... When you use your problem-solving strategy 10 times out of 10 times and you apply it to the research conducted or the research that goes into what is the new world order? 10 times out of 10 times, you come to the same conclusion. This is real, and this is happening. A couple of quotes. New York Governor Nelson A. Rockefeller once said that as president, he would work towards international creation of a new world order. On January 30th, 1976, a new document called the Declaration of Interdependence was introduced to the American people signed by 32 senators and 92 representatives. And it read, in part, two centuries ago, our forefathers brought forth a new nation. Now we must join with others to bring forth a new world order. Historian Walter Mills maintained that prior to World War I, Colonel Edward Mandel House, the major advisor to Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at the time, had a hidden motive for involving America in the war. The historian wrote, the colonel's sole justification for preparing such a batch of blood for his countrymen was his hope of establishing a new world order of peace and security. George Herbert Walker Bush, keep in mind, this is a guy whose father had his union banking company shut down because he was funneling money to the Nazis. Also, the same gentleman who created the Skull and Bones Secret Society at Yale, that George W. Bush and John Kerry, the two candidates that went head-to-head together in the 2004 presidential election, both were members of Skull and Bones Secret Society at Yale. I would also like to remind you that during the State of the Union, the president stands between the two fasces symbols comes from the latin word bundle they're in the house chambers they are the bound bundle of wooden rods that includes an axe with its blade emerging it symbolizes a magistrate's power and jurisdiction it's also the same symbol used as the nazis why is a United States president speaking between the two fasces symbols in the House chambers? This being more than just dark suits around a table scheming to bring us all into a global society is irrelevant. I'm not here to persuade you one way or the other. I am here because I'm a concerned citizen apparently of the new global society where, according to their words, must pass through a huge coal of the human population. Having people that I love on this planet, friends, family, my son, I encourage you to read or go buy this Ralph Epperson book. It is absolutely stunning because he cuts straight to the chase. 
No, mumbo jumbo literally breaks down. What is? It's almost impossible to deny that this is happening after you read this book, or really if you even look into it at all. This has been a plan in action for a long time. You have these bloodlines and their gophers, their representatives, who are systematically writing laws, adjusting laws, gearing society to the grand work of ages. And this term, the New World Order, this could be a 15-hour episode. And I didn't know which way to originally steer or gear this episode to. Because there are so many aspects of it. I would love to at least get my opinion out there. This is not just the Rosicrucians or the Jesuits or the Roman Catholic Church. It's not just the Jews, in my opinion. I think that's part of their game, is to place blame on one individual or one secret society. That way, the entire agenda continues to march forward. Throw a scapegoat out there, agenda keeps marching forward. Everybody thinks the scapegoat is the top of the pyramid. It's not. Mind control is real. Whether or not you want to believe in the declassified CIA operation, MKUltra, advertising, subliminal messaging, is a form of mind control. And this force, this agenda, and if you are compromised, but then you decide to go rogue, we can assassinate you, we can character assassinate you. There's no trick that they will not play. If they are willing to use false flag operations to gear up or to fire up the people within a certain country or nation, we should attack ourselves, blame it on another country. If they are willing or were willing to do that in 1963, what do you think they're capable of in 2020? It is almost too much to believe or too unreal, because truth is stranger than fiction, that this is possible. But you have, in 2016, our presidential election, really ask yourself, use common sense and ask yourself, of all the people in the United States of America, some 370, 380 some million people, that's the two best candidates we got? And you don't think that it's rigged? or been compromised in some regard. Aldous Huxley had a book called Brave New World. Mr. Huxley said that in the 21st century, there will be the era of world controllers. And then he told us why the controllers would not fail. The older dictators fell because they could never supply their subjects with enough bread enough circuses, enough miracles and mysteries. Under a scientific dictatorship, education will really work with the result that most men and women will grow up to love their servitude and will never dream of revolution. Franklin D. Roosevelt was a 33rd degree Freemason 
when designed the back of the dollar bill. Did you know that Moloch is on the back of the dollar bill? A tiny owl. The same owl that they pray to at Bohemian Grove during their cremation of care ceremony. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order, where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind, peace and security, freedom and the rule of law. Such is a world worthy of our struggle and worthy of our children's future. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. In the words of Winston Churchill, a world order in which the principles of justice and fair play protect the weak against the strong. A world where the United Nations, freed from Cold War stalemate, is poised to fulfill the historic vision of its founders. And that's why I wanted to speak to you today about the new world taking shape around us, about the prospects for a new world order now within our reach. In the coming weeks, I'll be talking in some detail about the possibility of a new world order emerging after the Cold War. But today, I want to discuss another aspect of that order. You see, as the Cold War grew to an end, we saw the possibilities of a new order in which nations work together. It refers to new ways of working with other nations to deter aggression, to achieve stability. As old threats recede, new threats emerge. The quest for the new world order is in part a challenge to keep the dangers of disorder at bay. We must build on the successes of Desert Storm to give new shape and momentum to this new world order. Only when this transformation is complete will we be able to take full measure of the opportunities presented by this new and involving world order. The new world order really is a tool for addressing a new world of possibilities. This order gains its mission and shape not just from shared interests, but from shared ideal. The President George Bush has talked time and time again about a new world order. And this is the best chance to begin to establish the new world order. And that's why the stakes are so high. From 1945 and the end of the war through 1989 and the end of the Cold War, we had a world, Republican and Democratic presidents alike, from Harry Truman to George Bush, stood for freedom. 
and stood for certain propositions that would make America strong and healthy, grow the middle class and shrink poverty, stand against communism. And after 1989, President Bush kept said, and it's a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. And instead, it looks like we got a lot of disorder. And we still, and after 9-11, we've been more sensitive. But it is the awareness itself that will drive the change. And one of the ways it will drive the change is through global governance and global agreements. Now much has been said by the Secretary of State and others about the new world order, about a defining moment in history. I have no doubt about the potential of this moment to be defining in terms of history. But that definition can be negative as well as positive. And how negative or positive it will be will depend on what kind of new world order we really create. Can it truly be said that the United States of America, trading off better treatment to China for an abstention on a vote, cozying up to Syria with its record of support for terrorism, or making promises to other countries in exchange for a hold your coat, you go ahead and take the risks and casualties endorsement, can it truly be said that these create a new world order? Can it really be said that we're building a new world order when it's almost exclusively the United States who will be fighting in the desert? Not, not alone, but almost. Displaying pride and impatience and implementing what essentially amounts to a Pax Americana. Is that a new world order? Can it really be said that this is a true new world order when it lacks a true United Nations collective security effort? with the full measure of international cooperation and burden sharing, which that should carry. With the end of the Cold War, Henry Kissinger pointed out in his superb book on diplomacy, he said, none of the most important countries which must build a new world order have had any experience with the multi-state system that is emerging. Never before has a new world order had to be assembled from so many different perceptions or on so global a scale, nor has any previous order had to combine the attributes of the historic balance of power system with global democratic opinion and the exploding technology of the contemporary period. That was written in 1994, and it may be even more relevant today. As I've told you before, because I love it so much, they also created the Great Seal of the United States. And that Great Seal of the United States has on it Novus Order Seclorum, a new order for the centuries, for the ages, forever. There is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. During the conflict with Saddam Hussein, which he handled so superbly in, in a short-term sense, he kept talking about a new world order. Uh, and, and, and then President Bush, at the end of, the, of that war, during which a truly peaceful and interdependent world order might be built, will not be here for open for too long. You believe deeply in your system, and we believe just as deeply in our system. It is not our common beliefs that have brought us together here, but our common interests and our common hopes. The interest that each of us has to maintain our independence and the security of our peoples.
and the hope that each of us has to build a new world order in which nations and peoples with different systems and different values can live together in peace, respecting one another while disagreeing with one another, letting history rather than the battlefield be the judge. It, it's, it's past the point of talking. Um, we know historically that the global governance um, the sort of agenda um, to these issues is, is, is very hard to try and is, 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 with all the best intentions, it's very hard to actually activate. Um, we're seeing that right now. We're seeing a lot of fragmentation going on in Copenhagen, a lot of different agendas pulling in different directions. And Leaders come together and establish a framework for global governance, not a world government, but sensible governance. These measures are enacted. We continue to move forward with the G20 process. We will have the kind of global government governance that is necessary to ensure the stability and transparency of markets in a way that gives us the benefits of a globalized market economy without the enormous risk. The transatlantic partnership was never just the foundation of our security. It was the foundation of our way of life. It was forged the experience of the most bitter and anguished kind. Out of it, came a new Europe, a new world order. This would be really to bring China into the creation of a order, financial order. What do you think the most important thing is for Barack Obama? Obviously, you're here to talk about the, the anniversary for U.S.-China diplomatic relations, but if you had to say this is going to be the country or the conflict or the place that will define the Obama administration, what would it be? The president-elect is coming into office at the moment when there are upheaval in many parts of the world simultaneously. You have India, Pakistan, you have, you have uh, uh, the hearted uh, movement. So he can't really say that it's one problem, that it's a important uh, But he can give a new impetus to American foreign policy, partly because the reception of him is so extraordinary around the world. I think its path will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't just a crisis. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of the world. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order because the global order is changing again and the institutions and rules that worked so well in the post-World War II era for decades they need to be strengthened. The, the way we're going to win over the long term is not just militarily we've got to win over hearts and minds and what that means is we've got to invest in countries that uh, have no educational infrastructure and have no uh, means for young people to to get ahead we've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. No, no. I mean, there is a conflict about what the mission is. The United States says that Gaddafi must go. Members of the coalition say this is strictly a humanitarian mission. How can the coalition work together when they can't agree on what the goals are?
so you tell me in your Emmy professor and after listening to that shit which included Nancy Pelosi Joe Biden Barack Obama Henry Kissinger who else did we have in there John Kerry these clips are over 30 or 40 years so why are they getting away with it how are they getting away with it number one it's so fucking grand the scope of it that it's hard to even fucking believe just blows your mind the level of infiltration that these these parasites have gotten to number two NFL football, you don't have time for world government conspiracy talk. You don't have the time to take back your society when there's an NFL football game on, or Kim Kardashian is on, or you're supposed to be taking selfies down at the town square. That's right, I said selfies. Distraction tactics. Divide and conquer. You don't have time for this shit when you've got a busy schedule and you're at your job 40 hours a week. If you're at your job 40 hours a week, that's 40 hours a week that you are not devoting to letting these scumbags overrun our society. And I'm also guilty because, you know, me being at the history of accounting department, I work many hours a week. And then I go and do my day job with, you know, stand-up comedy about history of accounting. Sir, I think that what we are saying here is It's hard to fucking believe. It is hard to fucking believe. And it's in your face, but it's not in your face. The symbolism, the occult, the pedophilia. Yes, I said pedophilia. Jeffrey Epstein, Prince Andrew. That fucking Prince Andrew. No, I've never met this girl. I never met her. What do you mean? What about these pictures? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of my face. Scapegoat. Scapegoat. And speaking of scapegoat, I would like to give a couple of shout-outs right now. First one, Legend, Jack Bird. I don't know where you are. I hope you're listening to this. I miss you, dude. And I respect you. I appreciate you for all your kind words. And I hope to talk to you again real soon. Number two. Shout out to Jay Rich, Jenna Rich. Had an amazing talk with Jenna over the last four or five days. Really put perspective, at least gave me perspective. And Jay Rich, you're a good friend. I'm glad that you are in contact again. And I appreciate your kind words about the show and me. So shout out to Jack Bird and Jay Rich, who this episode is dedicated to. So there you go. Also, our executive producer, Carol. Hi, Carol. So, the new world order. And again, we could go on and on and on and on, but who the fuck wants us to do that? At some point, you can put all this information in front of people or yourself. And as Ralph Epperson said in the beginning of his book, at some point, the researcher has to realize that this is repeat information. I'm just an aggregate. 
I am putting information in front of you, you have to want to be interested in it, or I hate to say it, have to take some accountability and go look at some of this stuff for yourself because I cannot give you the answers of the truth. As Socrates said, again, I know nothing except the fact of my ignorance. Process of elimination. At some point, again, to reiterate, these people, this force, this mindset, they are advancing this agenda. So the sooner we are adults and face it and try to do something about it, not a violent revolution, I'm not suggesting that at all, because you cannot defeat this mentality with the same level of vibration or frequency. Hate begets hate. It's going to take a perspective and some perception and a level of awareness that humanity, on a collective level, doesn't seem to have achieved yet. But the only way we're going to get there and do that is through individual accountability and re remember and reclaim. You are the infinite. You are an aspect of the infinite. You are powerful. You have potential. The only way to explore and to use that potential in a practical sense or practical manner is to encapsulate and encompass your true sense of being, your true sense of who you imagine yourself to be. Life is a dream and we are the imagination of ourselves. We are all in this together. Doesn't matter if you have a different color genetic spacesuit than me. We are all in this together. We are all one consciousness. It's experiencing itself subjectively. Therefore, when I am hateful to you, I'm being hateful to myself. We can do this. We are this. They have not realized that they have already lost. We fail to remember we are going to win. We already have won. So let's start acting like it. My name is Drew for the Drew World Order. This has been the New World Order episode. Saturn's coming. More New World Order is coming. This is the jump off point. The soft reboot, if you will. What? You're rebooting a fucking show? No, 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 no. Soft reboot. Alright, soft reboot. Well, who's going to play my part? Okay, you don't get it. Never mind. You got Jim Roger, don't get it. Thank you. Be kind to yourself. Believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in you, then how do you expect anybody else to believe in you? And if you're going to believe in somebody else, then you sure as shit should be able to believe in yourself. The prizes of life we fail to win because we doubt the powers we did. There you go. Yep, I know that one. You know what, uh, Professor Aya? Prerequisite? Are you going to say something? Go ahead, just say it. No, I don't have anything to say. Sorry for the long recess, everybody. We will be back a few times before Christmas. Make sure you check out the live casts on CastBox, which I believe that show is called. What is that show called? 
um, it's called cell 9009. Every day you change it, you go cell 9010, cell 9011. Yeah, I know how to count. Okay, well, whatever. All right, we are over and out. Rather than there, we echo Bernard Charlie and Ted Kepler. I repeat, Ted Kepler learned that.